Welcome to the Tartan Tardigrade. This is a podcast brought to you by the UK Centre for Astrobiology at the University of Edinburgh. My name is Mia, and I'll be talking to astrobiologists around the world about their research, careers, and more. This episode, we are joined by Caprice Phillips from The Ohio State University. Well, thank you so much, Caprice, and welcome. Thank you. Um, before we begin, I would love if you could just please introduce yourself to our listeners today. Tell us who Caprice Phillips is. Oh, gosh. Okay, so um, <laughs> my name is Caprice Phillips, and um, I'm originally from Arkansas mm-hmm. in the United States, and I'm a rising fifth-year PhD candidate in astronomy at the the Ohio State <laughs> University. Like I said, we're obliged to say the that way. They trademarked it. Um, and so I, I my, and my pronouns are she, her, and hers. I wanted to mention that. And so, yeah, I, I study brown dwarfs and and um, directly image exoplanets and also done work with some uh, detecting ammonia's potential um, biosignature. And yeah, I love plants. Yeah. I have like <laughs> almost 50 in my house. I don't know what, what else, but that's kind of, and I like doing watercolor and, and crafty things. So that's, that's a little great. bit more personal, like a, about me beyond of science because yeah. we're people too. Exactly. No, totally. That's always really important. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yes. Very nice to have you here, of course. Thank you. Now, I would like to start from the very beginning, if that's okay. Yeah. What made you interested first in space and astronomy generally? And then what guided you to your current research? and interests. Right. Um, so basically, how did you find astrobiology or did astrobiology find you? <laughs> That's hilarious. So, <laughs> so uh, okay. So I mentioned before that I'm from Arkansas. Yeah. And so when I was younger, I wanted, um, I guess I was really obsessed with money and I wanted to be an accountant. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm going to be an accountant or how I'm going to cool. work at Walmart. It, those were like my career options. I, I don't know like, what, what was the driver for that. But it was actually, um, and I tell this story a lot, but it was trips to my grandparents' house and kind of more moral kind of rural, um, smaller town, Arkansas, mm-hmm. where the, the skies would be um, a little more darker and stuff yeah. than in, in the city where I'm from, Hot Springs. And so I would see like some of the stars and, and the moon. And nice. it was actually my mom that was like, like, you seem really interested in that. Like, you should try to pursue that. And I was like, cool. <laughs> and so, like, she um, would let me, like, whenever we got, like, free previews of the Science Channel okay. or something, I would watch, like, astronomy shows in there. And she was the one that got me, like, a little baby telescope from oh from gosh. JC Penney, for example. No like, way. really? You could just see, like, <laughs> into the trees, yeah. right? <laughs> and so I pretend, like, I could see into space with it. But wow. ultimately, like, my, my point is that I really have to thank my mom for, mm-hmm. for kind of seeing that I was interested in it, even though, because I'm a first-generation student, she never right. went to, did a four-year university and so she saw that I was interested in it was like I'm not sure what this is but you seem to be passionate about it and how can I help you to the best of my abilities pursue that so I I really have to thank her which is why she has my degree (laughs) and my bachelor's degree like in her house right now and so that's kind of how I got like into astronomy and also Mm -hmm. like um I think in my eighth grade yearbook, I said I wanted to. My career, I said I wanted to be an astronomer. Really? And yeah, yeah, I put, wow. I put that. I spelled astronomer wrong, so you know my <laughs> major was not counts. English. Yes, so <laughs> it was not writing. So anyway, but um, but yeah. So the way kind of working more into like I guess astrobiology and some of the research you before it kind of it I guess um, found me because this was basically mm-hmm. what happened is that this is a project that my advisor like had. He was like, oh, I have this or another project. I was like, this sounds interesting. Like, mm-hmm. let's go with this. And then, mm-hmm. 
here we are. Wow. So yeah, that's kind of that's kind of like how it happened. Nothing no, that too makes special. Sense. <laughs> no, of course, it's always interesting to hear about the backstories because it's mostly for a field like astrology. It finds you rather than somebody actually seeking out astrology because right. it's so multidisciplinary. So exactly. You just happen to stumble upon it. <laughs> right. My mind's yeah. like, here you go. And I was like, cool. <laughs> yeah. No, it's great. That's great. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. yeah. Now, I would love to delve more into your current research. Mm-hmm. So you have some amazing ongoing projects right now, including like looking at the atmospheric composition of brown dwarf companions mm-hmm. and atmospheric retrievals of brown dwarfs. Yeah. And first, I would love to go, how, love to ask how that's going and have there been any exciting developments or recent news that you'd like to share? Yeah. So um, I one of the other things that I'm really um, kind of passionate about mm-hmm. is um, understanding the atmospheres of brown dwarfs, which mm-hmm. are substellar um, objects that are too massive to be um, planets, but they're not massive enough to kind of fuse hydrogen into helium like stars do, like our sun. So they're kind of in this mass range mm-hmm. between they're bigger, they're the more massive than the planet, not quite a star. So mm-hmm. people try to use them to understand mm-hmm. either stellar formation or they try to under, use them as analogs to planets. Okay. So they're very, they're very useful and cool objects. I'm biased because yeah. I studied them, but um, <laughs> so basically I've been trying to, to use um, kind of analysis technique called um, retrievals to understand mm-hmm. the atmospheres and constrain the amount of material mm-hmm. in them, like the abundances of, of molecules in these atmospheres using re- retrievals um, and different codes. And so mm-hmm. um, it's going. Yeah. And so yeah, it's yeah. Uh, like the type of objects, the type yeah. of um, brown dwarfs that I'm um I study in there, they're these, yeah. as you get like younger, mm-hmm. um, low surface gravity objects, they get really hard to like model right. and um, kind of try to characterize their atmosphere. So basically like the 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 work that I'm working on, I'm working on this with also Dr. My advisor, Dr. Ji Wong, yes. and also Dr. Jackie Faraday mm-hmm. at the American Museum of Natural History. And kind of the story is that cloudy, um, they're called Eldors. Cloudy Eldors are really hard to retrieve okay. and model. But it's, yeah. a, it's a good challenge in that. I'm like, oh, I mean, it's keeping me with a job. So, like, I can't complain, you know what <laughs> yeah. I'm saying? So, like, you know, so. But it, it's going well. It's just Great. they're just chal- challenging objects mm. um, to model. But, you know, just because I was talking to actual Dr. Beth Biller, and she oh. was like, just because something is like challenging and hard doesn't mean we shouldn't try to to totally. to do it. That's so I great. I think that I don't know I I, I like that aspect yeah. of it, even though if it is challenging mm-hmm. challenging work. So that's sorry no, long no. roundabout answer being no, like it's complicated. Don't even... know the answers, but it's cool work. So <laughs> no, very like interesting. <laughs> and best of luck to you with those projects. Definitely. <laughs> Thank you so much. Could you please elaborate for our listeners what retrievals mean in your research? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Um, a little bit to understand um, retrievals, there are um, kind of some primary wa- primary ways that people try to use to understand um, substellar or like brown dwarf and directly image exoplanet atmospheres. So one way is doing something called like grid modeling, where you take, where you build, where you build in more physical and chemistry like assumptions into the model, and you can like change kind of the physics and chemistry ha- happening, the temperature, mm-hmm. different um, molecules and stuff like already built into it, and so that has its own kind of advantages and and limitations. And so, but on the other end, retrievals. So basically, with retrievals, you work with you take a spectrum like an object and observe data from some instrument, whether that's space-based or ground-based data, and you kind of input it into this model mm-hmm. where basically you don't you don't make as many assumptions um, about what's the composition. So basically you say like, oh, 
for example, water. I think this this water may range from this amount to this amount mm-hmm. in the atmosphere. You say, oh, carbon monoxide. I think there may be this amount, this amount versus this amount, like a range of carbon monoxide in the atmosphere. And so you give it treatments for how it handles like radiative transfer and mm-hmm. different things. And basically what it does is that it takes these models and changes all these parameters okay. thousands and millions of times to see like what is the best match mm-hmm. to your observed um, spectrum. And so this is a way to get out individual abundances because right. like this is abundance the this is the amount of water in the atmosphere that would best match to the model to your observed um mm-hmm. data so it gives you more flexibility mm-hmm. in um under and understanding like parameters and stuff as compared to um to models um for example so basically it's kind of like if you have like a turntable and like you're turning like a bunch of different mm-hmm. knobs you're trying to see which one may match this like frequency right. better or something like that yeah. and that's kind of like okay. the idea behind retrievals but you need really high computing power mm-hmm. um, to do this so you have to run this on like cluster because it runs through millions oh, wow. and millions of of iterations of changing a bunch of parameters at the same time to match this to the data that makes sense. Yeah. 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 Sorry, very cool. Reasons. No, totally. Yeah, it's very so, interesting. Very yeah. complex stuff. Oh, my yeah. goodness. I like it. It's yeah. cool. It's great. No, that's great. Thank yeah. you. Um, I would also love to focus on another one of your projects, mm-hmm. which is where you're detecting potential biosignatures on exoplanets. And you specifically looked at ammonia as a biosignature. Mm-hmm. And my first question is, why ammonia? I think that you said that it's a biosignature in hydrogen and nitrogen dominated atmospheres, yeah. but it also has false positives. Right. So I just wanted to know your reasoning behind first choosing ammonia against other biosignature gases, mm-hmm. and also how do you navigate the potential of false positives? Okay, those. So okay, so I will work on why ammonia first, and yeah, then you might have to good. remind me of the other questions. <laughs> no I asked you, sorry, no my memory's like a goldfish. <laughs> <Don't> <laughs> but worry. anyway, so um, basically, so in, in that, I think, in that paper by um, Sarah Seagirdal, mm-hmm. table, by Sarah Seagirdal <laughs> 2013, they um, actually, they looked at like a variety of different molecules um, mm-hmm. to look at to see what may be um, potential like biosignatures or such in like a hydrogen and nitrogen based um, atmosphere. And so some of the other ones, I think to my understanding that they looked at, um, I think they had more kind of um, false positives. Some of them were like more harder to detect. And mm-hmm. then also one of the things that they kind of, I think, finally landed on ammonia as a potential biosignature was that it was very unique to just uh, hydrogen mm-hmm. and nitrogen-based um, atmosphere like the other ones you might be able to find in different right. kinds of atmosphere. But this one is um, supposed to be... Um, you can um, only find it if it has like hydrogen and nitrogen mm-hmm. um, in the atmosphere based on like a reducing atmosphere versus like a um, oxidizing one like here on okay. Earth, uh, yeah. for example, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. But they did yeah. look at other molecules in there and there are other people and like ammonia as a potential biosignature isn't the only potential biosignature that people are looking for. Mm-hmm. There, there are different ones and more like oxidizing atmospheres that have mm-hmm. oxygen and, course, and different yeah. um, things and like things um, in the atmosphere. But I... Um, we wanted to focus on kind of expanding upon Sarah uh, Seeger's work okay. and see where we could detect it with J2C and stuff. Yeah, very nice. Yeah. I guess like my sub-question of that is how do you navigate the false positives? Oh, oh yeah. Na- navigating the like with oh, – because I think in my, in my talk I talked about yeah. like you could have like say like if you detect like ammonia, right, you can't be like we did it. 
we found one. Like, <laughs> right, everybody, no, like, exactly. cut the cameras, it's over. Like, we, yeah. fin- we, we, we did everything. So, <laughs> I, um, so there's, like, ammonia brought from, like, can be ammonia from, like, um, comets, mm-hmm. naturally occurring ammonia in the atmosphere. Right. And then also, like, um, maybe um, ammonia caused by, like, other things, for example. And so that's part of the research that... That mm-hmm. I myself don't delve into right. um, too much. That's where yeah. I kind of talked with Rose a bit. Okay. I just where it's kind of like, like you really. This is what's the the beauty of interdisciplinariness of yeah. astrobiology. Because yeah. like, for example, each ammonia detection would be needed to be taken like into context mm-hmm. for that planet. First, you need to go and reobserve it to make sure like that's what you um, observed in the, in the first place. Mm-hmm. And then you want to see like maybe how much is in the atmosphere. But right. then also you want to be like, okay, like if we say we like found ammonia, we need to to talk to like chemists, right. biologists, like, right. you know, more yeah. like astrobiologists and right. like all these people, like does the, the, the detection of ammonia make sense for the context mm-hmm. um, of this planet? And, and, you know, is this planet well characterized as far as um, like its mass and radius to kind of see like, is this detection like in context or like given the, the architecture of the system, like makes sense for it. So yeah. really you need to talk to other people right. <laughs> to see like if that no, makes totally, sense. Yeah. But that way I think is the, the beauty of the field of astrobiology. Definitely. You get to talk to a bunch Great. of different people to try to make sense of, of something. No, totally. I 100% agree. Yeah. yeah, that definitely is the beauty of astrobiology is that it encompasses many people of many different expertises. So if you do have a question about something, it's so easy to find someone else that you can talk to about it. So right. yeah, definitely. That's great. Yeah, you'd be like, I don't know, like, give me access, <laughs> give us No, it's definitely, right? So, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, very yeah. flexible mm-hmm. like this. Great. So there seems to be a recurring theme in your work and that you focus on dwarf planets. Mm -hmm. And in the case of this specific research project that we're talking about, gas dwarf planets. So I think you touched a little bit about their importance and their uniqueness. Mm -hmm. And in your paper, Detecting Biosignatures in the Atmospheres of Gas Dwarf Planets with JWST, published 2021, Mm -hmm. you write that gas dwarf planets are generally not considered habitable Mm -hmm. unless there is a substantial ocean layer where there are possible for floating microbial life. Mm-hmm. And so my questions, well, I'll, I'll give you my first question. Yeah. So could you elaborate on the significance, again, of studying these specific planets? And then I want to bring it to how does detecting biosignatures relate back to these planets that aren't usually considered habitable? Right. So, no, those are really great questions. Thank so you. to kind of touch on... Um, the first one. So I also tend to look down when I'm thinking. So that's no like, problem. And so uh, to touch on the the first one. So one of the one of the um, kind of interests in looking at these more massive um, and larger planets is that they can. Um, the idea is that they may be able to hold on to their hydrogen based mm-hmm. um, envelope versus like of a smaller planet. There's not enough kind of gravity to, mm-hmm. you know, kind of attract the atmosphere and it will like escape away mm-hmm. versus someone that's bigger is able to attract more like gas and everything and hold right. on to the atmosphere versus escaping into space. Right. And so as you have a more, more hydrogen in the atmosphere, mm-hmm. then you can have like something called like a larger scale height, which is like um, basically related to like how, easily you're able to observe things in the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. So if you have a more massive atmosphere, like it's mm-hmm. easier, the signals are going to be larger versus mm-hmm. a, th- a planet that is maybe more of like a rocky body or something with like a right. thinner atmosphere. It's hard to observe that. Like mm-hmm. it would be, for example, like it would be, it would be a lot hard. It's hard to observe an Earth. Well, it's hard to find an Earth 
size planet around a solar type right. star, but it would be really hard. There are people, there are upcoming missions to observe more smaller planets, but it's hard to kind of even characterize the atmosphere mm-hmm. of such a small um, planet because the atmosphere is um, small and thin. Right. Um, for example, so that's one of the drivers for 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 studying these more massive mm-hmm. um, planets is because they're easier to to study um, than like smaller planets where they can have different potential um, um, biosignatures, for example. No, that that makes sense. sense. No, totally. Yeah. Yeah, because I was in my head thinking like, why would... Why specifically like those kinds of planets, you know, because there's so many you can choose from. And I think also you mentioned in your seminar that they're probably the most abundant planet mm. found in the universe. So yeah. it's, it's kind of like an interesting prospect. Yeah. Bit. Yeah. I just wanted to ask that. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. So I would also love to talk briefly right now about your outreach work. Yeah. And so I learned that you first worked at the Museum of Discovery, which is where you became passionate about education. Yeah. You also worked at the Maria Mitchell Association where you developed lectures and curriculum for young students. Yeah. And I also learned that you're the vice president of Black and Astro. Mm-hmm. So I would love if you could just guide me on this journey. What sparked this passion for outreach? And right. also what made you realize that this is potentially a crucial part to being a scientist? Yes. So to kind of, uh, I think I said it briefly in my, yeah. my talk, but um, I think sometimes people like to think that to try to be like, oh, science is just pure and and right. by itself. And like, you know, if we lived in a bubble, that would be mm-hmm. true. But <laughs> right. in fact, like, you know, we we don't yeah. live in bubbles right. and we live in a society. And so, <laughs> so, yeah, unless you like live in a bubble, you are impacted by society and type of thing. So my, right. my, my point in saying all this is that science is done by people. Yes. And um, people can have impacts mm-hmm. on other people. So kind of the that's one of my um, understandings and, and drivers for trying to, to to make help make science like more like accessible and yeah. to talk with people about like the science that I yeah. do but also it's kind of like mm-hmm. I I want it to to have I mean we still have a long way to go <laughs> like I, I want it to be this kind of um atmosphere and idea that mm-hmm. if you want to do science then you can do science. Yes. Like nobody should have this kind of preconceived notion about what a scientist looks yeah, like. Definitely. Who is who is able to do science? Like who is able yeah. to do science communication or yeah. or any of those things. It's exactly. kind of like if you're interested in it, like you should be able to like yeah. pursue that. It shouldn't just be like, you know, one one type of person predominantly kind of in this field and doing the science. So mm. I, and I also think like just working at the museum at the Museum of Discovery mm-hmm. in Little Rock, it was I you know, I like I like children. Yeah. You know, when they're being you know, when they're being nice. <laughs> when they're being nice. <laughs> yeah. So I, I like children, but it, it's yeah. nice mm-hmm. seeing seeing someone discover something maybe for the first time or understanding mm-hmm. something from their point of view, like Definitely, seeing it click yeah. like yeah. in their minds or just like, oh, this this thing happened, like, why is this happening? And mm-hmm. just like just kind of watching science through mm-hmm. their eyes or mm-hmm. someone's eyes. It's not necessarily like an expert like in this yeah. in this field that I think is is I find very rewarding. Yeah. Um and stuff. And so I, I also in the museum there was a day where they had like Dollar Sunday where you would you would have um, different groups of people that might not have access to the museum okay. be able to come. So oh, that wow. was part of like that. I I liked um, seeing like more like diverse group of people like yeah. in the museum because it was more accessible mm-hmm. um, in that in that manner. And mm-hmm. I guess as it relates to to Black and Astro, like mm-hmm. like I I kind of mentioned before, but I'm you know I want people to be able to 
that want to do the science to be able to do um, this science and for mm-hmm. for all these these barriers and different yeah. things like put in place um, for us because I'm a black woman in space to yeah. like you know have a support system yeah. um, for people because I think currently there there are less than thirty. Black women in the U.S. who have a PhD in astronomy wow. ever, ever, right? Yeah, oh my gosh. ever. So it's kind of like you know, there's you know, there's a reason for that, and it's not mm-hmm. that we're not interested in the science. And so, like Black and Astro, one of our goals is to help create and support um, community, mm-hmm. like in, in the uh, in the field. I think currently, I think I can maybe name in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not an expert on like everybody everywhere, but yeah. there's there's at least like maybe maybe two or three like black women who work in astropology wow. like in the U.S. like right. that I know of. So it's kind of like wow. you know we gotta we gotta get these numbers up. We have to retain people and support people, Definitely. and that's part of the thing that I'm passionate about as well. Because I'm like science is cool, but I don't mm-hmm. want to just like you know do science like they can't they, they can't be it. Like science is awesome, science is cool, yeah. but I want to make sure that everybody who wants to do science. Can do science. Yeah. So that's great. Yeah. Yes. Thank you so much. Yeah. Sorry if I rambled. No, but. no, you're not <laughs> rambling. No, this is incredibly inspiring, and it's great yeah. to hear. Great to hear that because it's it's much needed, and especially just women in science and minorities in science. Mm-hmm. It's just it's shocking to hear about these statistics, and right, and you just want to be a part of it and be like, come on, guys, we can do it. You know, because right. science should be for everybody. Exactly, and it should be for everybody. Like, I just want to do science and vibes. Yeah, <laughs> you exactly. Know what I'm science and vibes, but science it's not vibes, always that yeah. simple. So <laughs> that's true. Yeah. No, definitely. I wanted to ask, like, what is some outreach that you're currently doing that mm-hmm. is just really interesting to you? Yeah. So I think one of the things, um, one of the primary things that I'm involved, like outreach in like um DEI work is mm-hmm. with Black and Astro. Okay, great. And so yeah. one of the things we actually put on is our this is our was our fourth year called um, it was called Black and Astro Week or Black okay, Space Week. Great. And so it's a it's a week kind mm-hmm. of de- dedicated to like celebrating and amplifying like Black folks in different aspects of space mm-hmm. sciences. Mm-hmm. And so um, this year we had again we had a cultural astronomy panel, um, wow. for example, talking about like from like a non Eurocentric lens, talking about like how like um, indigenous like astronomy like from Africa yeah. and different things and oh and gosh. what that means to people and just people of like the African diaspora yeah. and like the, you know the connection like to space and the stars so that was very mm-hmm. interesting mm-hmm. and then we also had a panel on instrumentation of uh, black wow. folks working in instrumentation work and also people doing citizen science oh and amateur astronomers Amazing. and yeah we had research showcases and a bunch of stuff so I really worked hard with the great team of people and mm-hmm. I would be remiss if I didn't mention that. Um, Black and Astro was mm-hmm. founded by um, Ashley Delia um, mm-hmm. Walker, who is currently a PhD student um, at Howard University in Atmospheric Sciences. This was her brainchild and and wow. baby, and yeah. you know I'm I'm here just you know helping like with the team and for us to all like um, collectively kind of work towards this this mission. But one of the main things I'm involved with is is Black and Astro. Yeah, that makes us thank you so much. Yeah, how, how amazing! That's amazing. Thank you. And it's possible that some young women who aspire to one day be a scientist or an astrologist such as yourself yeah. are listening in. So if that were the case, what would be some advice that you would give to them? Some advice. <laughs> so I I think I, I've kind of touched on this a little bit, but if you want to do science and astrobiology, like do the thing. <laughs> like don't, if someone's like, mm, is that hard for you? <laughs> right. Or is yeah. that really career you want to mm-hmm. do? Like, yeah, it is. <laughs> like this is what I want to do, and don't yeah. let, don't let, don't listen to people telling you that that this may not be something that you can do. Yeah. And also, like, 
Um, it's okay if it's hard. Yeah. Uh, because like, you know, things that I like, for instance, like I struggled in undergrad. Yeah. I did physics in undergrad and I was really with C's get degrees at that point because <laughs> I was like struggling, you know what I'm saying? So I mean a topic like physics. <laughs> it's, on, it's, yeah. it's, it's very hard. So it's like, but I'm like persistent and I didn't like um, give up, even though it was really mm. hard being like one of the women of color, black mm-hmm. women, and yeah. one of the only women like in my department. So, and first generation students, yeah, as first well, generation students, yeah. So, like finding people that are also that are kind of going to spotlight you and mm-hmm. like root for you, mm-hmm. I think is like so like crucial. Whether that's finding a community of folks, right. like a club organization, I would say to 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 do that. And if you want to do it, mm-hmm. like like I said. Do the thing, but yeah. Also, my advice would be to like you know also find other other things like in addition to to your studies in science that you're like interested and passionate about because like you can't do science all day every no. day. It's like if you want to go home watch Netflix, <laughs> if you want to watercolor, yeah. if you want to play your Switch or PlayStation yeah. or Tears of the Kingdom or, or anything. Yeah, then I then I think that's so important. Like my hobby oh. is that I like having plants and I like doing crafts <laughs> and so that's when I like to watch Netflix in my mm-hmm. downtime. But like finding yeah. space and time for for yourself in addition to your science because you're you're more than just the plot mm-hmm. that you make yeah. or the equation that you can solve Definitely. type thing. So like always keeping. Um, that, that stuff in mind as you Definitely. like pursue this field because it can be real easy to fall into the trouble like I have to work all day yeah. every day especially in the U.S. <laughs> like, yeah. that, that, that's a, that's sure. a that, that mentality it's so. such a common misconception yeah. you know, where scientists can't be people or they can't have personal lives right, right. because they're just 100% dedicated to what they do it, but that's not true in it, order to be a healthy individual it, you have to you know as it, you say Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you and you can you can wear pants, you can wear a skirt, you yeah. can wear makeup, no mm-hmm. makeup, whoever, yeah. you know, not just limited to um women identifying mm-hmm. folks. Like if you scientists is, being a scientist does not have to look um no. one way. And exactly. So, anyway. That's super true. That's yeah. super true. I agree. So. Oh, thank you for <laughs> <Yeah>. that. <laughs> oh, that's great. Um now, of course, I would like to wrap up our chat by yeah. obviously talking about extraterrestrial life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so I assume as an astrobiologist, you've thought about the existence of extraterrestrial life. Right. And so what are your thoughts about life off of our planet, but based on your research? Mm-hmm. So do you think that your research specifically maybe dramatically or not so dramatically changed your perspective on extraterrestrial life? Yeah, so that's a that's a really good question. So I think before I started um, looking at like ammonia as a mm-hmm. potential biosignature, that I uh, tended to to have like this kind of view that that um, like earth like earth centric yeah type things that right. atmospheres may have to like look exactly like earth to right. have potential like signs of life, but this kind of idea of like life as we um, don't know it mm-hmm. um, type thing that mm-hmm. there can be like a diversity of of different kinds of things that may kind of spawn and also just from watching like all those discovery channels like extremophiles yeah. Yeah, and definitely. different things yeah. like how these these things kind of exist yeah. like and are still able um, to live so it's like you know if they're able to live in such extreme environments yeah. like here on on earth so you just like add a little more things to the cocktail mix like there's no, there's no, no <laughs> indication that they they can't survive yeah and and live in like just a diversity of, of life that like can happen I think um, can be very like interesting whether that's just kind of floaters in the atmosphere or mm-hmm. things on the 
on the surface that I've been like learning more and more about. So yeah, no, that's super great. Yeah, I feel like before I really came into astrobiology, I thought, well, first our interaction with extraterrestrial life would be so great and awesome and now everything has been sort of changing like to the pessimistic side of things yeah. like if we were to find intelligent life somewhere i don't think it'd go down too well <laughs> to yeah. be honest but yeah. no it's just it's just so astrology is so theoretical because we've yeah. yet to find life elsewhere mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so i think it definitely allows us to explore these questions these unknowns freely right in exactly. a sense that it's no one's going to judge you for it you know <laughs> because right. regardless of what your opinions are about extraterrestrial life it could be anything right it could it's be all an open open book really right. so <laughs> it keeps us with a job yeah <laughs> and i i think it's cool that yeah. people are looking you know trying to see whether yeah. within our own solar system mm-hmm. and also on other planets and yeah like also people are, are looking at some byproducts of like um agriculture yeah, and stuff to exactly. see like there there's so many different things there are people looking at techno signatures there's there's totally, a whole yeah. <laughs> the, the wide variety of things yeah. that you could try to research and try to understand this exactly. field is almost like endless yeah so, it's insane keep the paychecks coming exactly <laughs> Oh, uh, no, that sounds good. Yeah. Caprice, well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. Yeah. This was amazing to meet you and to learn more about you and, Thanks. of course, of the science side, but also the more personal side because scientists are people. We are. <laughs> period. So, yes. Oh, well, thank you again. Yes. You're welcome. All right. Cool. Thank you for having me. <laughs> of course. Yay. <laughs> yeah.